We just have today and next week, and we'll be done our study from the life and times of Elisha. And today we're in chapter 13. This will be the final chapter in our study. Let's read it together. 2 Kings 13. In the 23rd year of Joash, the son of Ahaziah, king of Judah, Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, became king over Israel at Samaria, and he reigned 17 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, with which he made Israel sin. He did not turn from them. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them continually into the hand of Hazael, king of Aram, and into the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazael. Then Jehoaz entreated the favor of the Lord, and the Lord listened to him, for he saw the oppression of Israel, how the king of Aram oppressed them. The Lord gave Israel a deliverer, so that they escaped from under the hand of the Arameans. And the sons of Israel lived in their tents as formerly. Nevertheless, they did not turn away from the sins of the house of Jeroboam, with which he made Israel sin, but walked in them. And the Asherah also remained standing in Samaria. For he left to Jehoahaz of the army not more than fifty horsemen, and ten chariots, and ten thousand footmen. For the king of Aram had destroyed them, and made them like the dust at threshing. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoahaz, and all that he did in his might, are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? And Jehoahaz slept with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria. And Joash, his son, became king in his place." In the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, became king over Israel and Samaria and reigned 16 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not turn away from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, with which he made Israel sin, but he walked in them. Verse 12. Now the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did and his might with which he fought against Amaziah king of Judah, are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Joash slept with his fathers and Jeroboam sat on his throne and Joash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. When Elisha became sick with the illness with which he was to die, Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over him and said, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. Elisha said to him, Take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand on the bow. And he put his hand on it. Then Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. He said, Open the window toward the east. And he opened it, and then Elisha said, shoot, and he shot. And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, even the arrow of victory over Aram, for you will defeat the Arameans at Aphek until you have destroyed them. Then he said, 
Take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, Strike the ground. And he struck it three times and stopped. So the man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Aram until you would have destroyed it. But now you shall strike Aram only three times. Elisha died and they buried him. Now the bands of the Moabites would invade the land in the spring of the year. As they were burying a man, behold, they saw a marauding band and they cast the man into the grave of Elisha. When the man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet. Now Hazael, king of Aram, had oppressed Israel all the days of Jehoahaz. But the Lord was gracious to them and had compassion on them and turned to them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and would not destroy them or cast them from his presence until now. When Hazael, king of Aram, died, Ben-Hadad, his son, became king in his place. Then Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, took again from the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazael, the cities which he had taken in war from the hand of Jehoahaz, his father. Three times Joash defeated him and recovered the cities of Israel. Well, we're only going to look at verses 1 through 13 today. And in the previous chapter, we were looking at the southern kingdom of Judah. And if you if you have your chart, on the left we have the southern kingdom, which is Judah. Now we're moving back to the northern kingdom, which is primarily where Elisha acted as prophet. We're moving back to this northern kingdom to cover three of the four sons of Jehu and remember God had promised that he would see that he would give Jehu's son success to the fourth generation we'll have three of them here Jehoahaz Jehoash and then Jeroboam the third all three of these kings are described as doing evil in the sight of the Lord and more of that in a moment <clears throat> we'll work we'll work our way through uh, beginning at verse 1, uh, we hear this um, introductory statement or summary statement in the 23rd year of Joash, the son of Ahaziah. That's who we looked at in chapter 12. And these chapters call us to be alert because there's two Joashes. The Joash, which was the king of Judah, and Joash, the king of Israel. So we're back to that. Uh, parallel, and they were, um, if I remember correctly, if you look at the chart, they were actually um, ruling for a year, one to two years at the same time. So that can really throw us for a loop if we don't catch it. But um, in that 23rd year of that king of Judah, Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, became king over Israel, again, moving to the northern kingdom of Israel, and he reigned these 17 years. Verse 2, it describes the reign of Jehoahaz, typically for the kings of Israel, 
in that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. We hear that again and again. And followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel sin. He did not turn from them. As a matter of fact, we heard, we read that phrase that they did evil in the sight of the Lord 44 times. 44 times. It began in Judges, uh, seven times there, First Samuel. Even of Solomon, it's mentioned in, in certain case, in a certain case, he did evil. First Kings, nine times, but in Second Kings, 18 times, and most of the kings of Israel were described in that fashion. They did evil in the sight of the Lord, and then Second Chronicles just has eight, and once in Jeremiah. As we've observed this before, that these kings that were supposed to be godly uh, did great evil, what could we learn? And we'll put it this way, the first of six lessons, don't waste the stories of evil in the Old Testament. Don't waste the stories of evil in the Old Testament. There are many grievous and dark days in the times of Israel and even of Judah as we observed last time. We cannot waste them. And as we read the Old Testament, we might think, what does that have to do with me? Uh, I'm a Christian. I live in the New Covenant. But as a matter of fact, we're called, even by the Apostle Paul, particularly in 1 Corinthians 10. And I, I like to take Paul's hermeneutic, and especially from 1 Corinthians 10, how might we interpret the, the, the bad stories, the evil stories in the Old Testament? At least we can learn from him. Just in one verse there, and that chapter talks about no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. It talks about dealing with idolatry. But he says in 1 Corinthians 10.6, Now these things happen as examples for us. That's a great hermeneutic, a way to study the Old Testament. These things happen, and it was going back to the Exodus and the time in the wilderness, but it would apply here as well. They happen as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. So don't waste or, or just glance over these stories. We can learn how not to live. And that often is as valuable as learning how to live. This is how we should not live. And particularly, in this case, it's Jehoahaz, this man who did evil in the sight of the Lord. Remember, the Spirit of God teaches us how not to live from these evil examples. Well, he was so evil and Israel was so evil, verse 3, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. These are his covenant people. A grievous statement. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he gave them continually into the hand of Hazael, king of Aram, and that king's son, and into the hand of Ben-Hadad the son of Hazael. And I didn't mention it, but the title coming particularly from part of this verse, he gave them continually, idolatrous Israel rebuked and rescued by God. Idolatrous Israel rebuked. They were rebuked because God was angry and gave them over into the hands of their enemy. And then in a few verses, he will rescue them from that very enemy. So here's idolatrous Israel being rebuked by God, being given over, but also in a moment he will give them grace. 
They were given over and they were also given grace. It's a profound picture of our God's character. One author said that God's anger aimed to discipline, not destroy. And we see that at the end of this chapter. The Lord God had compassion upon them. He would not destroy them or cast them from his presence. God is long-suffering. Yes, he became angry, but he was very merciful. But ask ourselves the question. The second lesson is in the form of a question. Do you take idolatry as serious as the Lord does? Do you take idolatry as serious as the Lord does? We all can be tempted to have idols. We've mentioned many times the greatest idol can be ourselves, our hobbies, our family members, our jobs, money, uh, and many evil things can be idols or creating a view of God that is not according to Scripture. That would be an idol as well. God is a jealous God. Listen to Deuteronomy 7. The graven images of their gods you shall burn with fire. You shall not covet the silver or the gold that is on them, nor take it for yourselves, or you will be snared by it. For it is an abomination to the Lord your God. God hates idolatry. And we know from John's epistle, little little children, guard yourselves from what? Idols. Idolatry is not just an Old Testament topic, it's a New Testament. And for us today, we don't relegate it to simply bowing to a statue of Buddha, which is idolatry, or worshiping a false god, but the people of God can slip in and have these heart idols. Remember, Calvin said, the heart is an idol factory. By the grace of God, take idolatry seriously. Maybe you're tempted, as I can be on the road, to drive as if you're the God of the road. It sounds, it's laughable, and yet it's grievous that we can make ourselves an idol like everyone get out of my way. God hates that. Christ had to die for that type of idolatry. We must take idolatry seriously, and the Old Testament shows that over and over again, how God dealt with idolatry, and of course the cross is the greatest picture of how God dealt with our own idolatry. He had to punish it, whether on the cross or on earth and in eternity. Do you take idolatry as serious as God the Lord does? Well, then we'll move to verses 4 through 6, and what a transition It seems to be a parenthetical statement because verse 7 picks up on this uh, attack that the king of Aram had. So um, listen to verse 4. Then Jehoahaz entreated the favor of the Lord, and the Lord listened to him. For he, that is God, saw the oppression of Israel, how the king of Aram oppressed them. There's two amazing statements here. One, that Jehoahaz prayed. It just said that he was an evil man. And yet he prayed. Apparently, as he saw Israel being destroyed, he was 
so rebuked that he cried out to God, he entreated, he asked for the favor of God. It's an amazing thing when the wicked would bow down in prayer. And we've seen that where unbelievers will cry out to God. Well, this man does that, and it says even further, even more amazing, the Lord listened to him. But there is a caveat or a further description. God listened to him, for he saw the oppression of Israel. Now, who caused the oppression of Israel? Who was oppressing Israel? The Syrians, the Aramaeans. Who caused them to do it? God. God was punishing His covenant people, and yet He was grieved at the punishment that He gave. He saw the oppression, the very oppression that He had set up to correct the idolatrous Israelites. So lesson three, see the mercy of God. He heard the prayer of His oppressed people. Even the oppression that He sent to correct them He was grieved at it. Maybe he does not afflict willingly. It it, it grieved him in some sense that he heard the prayer of his oppressed people. And at the end, again, verse 23 said, he remembered and, and he was gracious to his people because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. See God's mercy that he heard the prayer of the evil man and he was merciful even to idolatrous Israel as they were oppressed. If God heard the prayer of these evil people, how much more does He hear us in Christ? Ask and it will be given to you. Ask anything in My name. Verse 5, the Lord responds by not only listening, but He does something. The Lord gave Israel a deliverer, or in your column, a savior. God was punishing His covenant people, yet when the king, to some degree, humbled himself, though he was evil, he prayed to God. God saw the oppression from the Syrians. He had mercy, and the Lord gave a deliverer. Verse 3 said, He gave them continually into the hand, Verse 5 says he gave a deliverer. That's why we have idolatrous Israel rebuked and rescued. He rebuked them by giving them into the hand of Hazael, but he also was merciful to them and rescued them by giving this deliverer. Our God is amazing. He can rebuke and he can rescue. He gave them this savior or deliverer so that they escaped from under the hand of the Aramaeans. And the sons of Israel lived in their tents as formerly, in peace. Now, we don't know who this deliverer or savior was. There's several ideas. Uh, There was a guy named Adad Nirari III of Assyria, who uh, history tells us was attacking the Aramaeans at this time, and some people think he was the deliverer. Some people think it was Elisha who would counsel the king in this uh, attack and give this prophecy, the arrows shot as we read. Uh, Matthew Henry thinks it was uh, Jehoash, the son to follow, because it says that he had all this might against the Arameans. He will defeat the Arameans. And some would point to the the next son uh, of Jehu, 
Jeroboam the third, which it states he saved Israel by the hand of Jeroboam. So whoever that deliverer or savior was, in Judges we hear the same phrase that God raised up a deliverer over and over. Well here, it's the same idea that God gave this deliverer or this savior to to buffer the attack of the Arameans, which is profound because he just gave them into their hand to be punished. Now he's giving them a savior. Lesson four, see the grace of God. He gave a deliverer to idolatrous Israel. See the grace of God. We said in the previous, see the mercy of God. He heard prayer, but here, see the grace of God. He gave a deliverer to idolatrous Israel. God is so gracious that over and over again, he reached out to idolatrous Israel and was gracious to them and gave them a deliverer. And again, the same words are used in verse 3 and 5. He gave them to be punished. He gave them to be blessed. That's our God. And how much more to be rescued by an, an earthly deliverer or savior to be rescued by our Lord Jesus Christ and His grace, the riches of His grace. So we can appreciate this, that God would give us grace that we were idolaters, that God is so gracious even to sinners and idolaters to rescue, to save. We can rejoice as we see this grace, maybe not saving grace in the in terms of being caused to be born again as we've experienced, but a general grace at least to idolatrous Israel. But how did Israel respond? In praise, and they had a revival, and they worshiped God? No. Verse 6, nevertheless. What sad words. God was so merciful. He rebuked them, then he heard their prayer, and he gave a deliverer. They did not respond in praise and worship and renewed zeal to follow God. Nevertheless, they did not turn away from the sins of the house of Jeroboam with which he made Israel sin, but walked in them. And the Asherah also remained in Samaria. Despite the fact that God gave a deliverer, they kept going on in their idolatry. Remember that Jeroboam had set up those two golden calves at Bethel and Dan, and the Israelites wanted to have some idol to bow down to, to worship, and of course they had these Asherah as well, these totem poles, symbols of the female deity of, 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 of life and, and prosperity. They wanted to be like the other nations. They wanted to have a little bit of Jehovah and a little bit of all the other gods. And even when God was merciful, nevertheless, they did not turn away. See the hardness of their hearts. Lesson five. Again, from their bad example, what could we learn? Beware, sin hardens the heart, even against the Lord's grace. Sin hardens the heart, even against the Lord's grace. Every sin undealt with will harden your heart. We have to deal with our sins by the grace of God to put to death the deeds of the flesh that we might live, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Beware, brothers and sisters, sin 
hardens the heart. All through Hebrews, the warnings, don't let there be an evil, unbelieving heart. They did not only stumble once or twice, it says they walked in them. That was what defined them. When you walk in a particular path, that's what defines you. And that's what defined the Israelites in this era. They were worshiping the false gods. Again, these were not isolated events, but it was their habit. Well, remember that you could see verses 4 through 6 were a bit of a parenthetical statement because verse 7 seems to jump somewhere else, and I believe it goes back to verse 4. For he left to Jehoahaz of the army not more than 50 horsemen and 10 chariots and 10,000 footmen, for the king of Aram had destroyed them and made them like the dust at threshing. It's going back up to how Aram, the king of Aram, oppressed them and destroyed them. The punishment of the Lord was severe. Their military was devastated. If you look back over the preceding decades, all the way back to Ahab, he had a mighty army with many chariots. And it says here they had only ten chariots left. Aram had devastated their military and only 50 horsemen. They did have all of these infantry soldiers, all of these footmen, 10,000, but the chariots had power in these battles. Matthew Henry said, the debauching of a nation will certainly be the debasing of it. The debauching, the turning away from God, the infidelity to God, led to the debasing of their country and of their military. God punished them by making them weak so that the enemy could attack. And it says that they were like dust at the threshing. When they were threshing the wheat or the crops and that dust came up, that's basically what Israel became, just a bunch of dust balls. So weak and pathetic. And then it goes right into the end of this king Jehoahaz, verse 8. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoahaz and all that he did and his might, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? And Jehoahaz slept with his fathers and they buried him in Samaria. And Joash, his son, became king in his place. There's a transition from Jehoahaz to his son Jehoash. And remember, These sons were the sons of Jehu that God had promised would be on the throne for four generations. And if you have the chart, you can see them. Um, And there's more over there if you didn't get one. Jehoahaz, Jehoash, Jeroboam, I said the third, excuse me, the second, and Zechariah, the four sons of Jehu, were transitioning here to the second Jehoash. Briefly, verse 10, in the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, became king over Israel in Samaria and reigned 16 years. So here you hear about both the king of Judah, Joash, and the king of Israel, Joash. Tongue twisters, mind twisters, I know. 
The timeline here is about 798 B.C. 798 B.C. And again, both Jehoash of Judah and Jehoash of Israel were reigning at that time, at the same time period. Verse 11, as we wind down, He, that is Jehoash, did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not turn away from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, with which he made Israel sin, but he walked in them. He followed in the footsteps of his father, doing evil in the sight of the Lord. He followed in his great-great-great-great-grandfather, Jeroboam, and he led the nation into more sin. He and they walked in the sins of Jeroboam, worshiping the golden calves, the bulls. He walked in them, just like his father did. Think of this as an illustration. Our final lesson is this. In Christ, there's no excuse for imitating the sins of your parents. In Christ, there's no excuse for imitating the sins of your parents or your grandparents or your great-grandparents. You may have heard people say, well, that's just how I was brought up. Or it's in my DNA. Christians, brothers and sisters, because we're in Christ, there's no excuse for imitating the sins of our parents. We can't say, that's just how I was raised. That's just how I was brought up. That's how I saw my mom or dad act. Well, surely, Jehoash saw his father, Jehoahaz, walk in wickedness. And he did the same thing. But we don't have to do that. By God's grace, we can be different than our our maybe pagan and unsaved parents. By God's grace, praise God, we're in Christ and we are new creatures. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. That's great news. So when we read these stories of all these kings, what do we say? Forty-four times they did evil in the sight of the Lord. By God's grace, we do not have to follow that example. By God's grace, we can be a first-generation Christian. We can be new creatures in Jesus Christ. If you have Christian parents, what a blessing. You're saved and you have Christian parents. You can follow their example in as much as they follow Christ. That's a great blessing. But some of us did not have Christian parents growing up, or maybe even now. So in Christ, we cannot imitate, and we should not imitate, and we cannot make an excuse and follow their sins. Jehoash may have said, well, that's just what my dad did. I don't know any better. He had a conscience. He knew that it was wrong. And for Christians, we have the Spirit of God. We have Christ in us and the power of Christ. We are new creatures. Yes, amen indeed, that we can be different than our parents. And even Christian parents have sins. Do not imitate those believers. We can learn from the evil stories of the Old Testament. And we said that, don't waste the stories of the evil found in the Bible and the Old Testament in particular. Well, verse 12 concludes our section. 
Now the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did and his might with which he fought against Amaziah, king of Judah, a bit of civil war continuing, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? We have the chronicles of the kings of Judah. We don't have these records that are mentioned. Verse 13, so Joash slept with his fathers and Jeroboam sat on his throne and Joash was buried in Samaria with the king, kings of Israel. Why would you name your son Jeroboam when he was the epitome of sin, but that's what he named his son Jeroboam? Judah, it says in Chronicles, was defeated by Israel. This um, Joash defeated his opposing Jewish family, the king of Judah, and they were defeated. You can read about that in Second Chronicles 25, or even the next chapter, chapter 14, speaks of the battle between Judah and Israel, and Israel won. Grievous that the people of God would fight among themselves. But of course, that doesn't happen today, does it? Well, in review... Again, we said, don't waste the stories of evil in the Old Testament. And then a question, do you take idolatry as serious as the Lord does? Third, see the mercy of God. He heard the prayer of his oppressed people. Fourth, see the grace of God. He gave a deliverer to idolatrous Israel. Fifth, beware, sin hardens the heart, even against the Lord's grace. The Lord kept reaching out in grace, but they hardened their hearts. And sixth, in Christ, there's no excuse for imitating the sins of your parents. Well, that gets us down to verse 13. Then next week, verses 14 to the end, and we'll be done this series on the life and times of Elisha, which really have been uh, way beyond Elisha, but the story of God, his dealings with Israel and Judah, from Second Kings, and I trust that it's been profitable. Do you have any questions or comments as we have a few minutes this morning? Okay. Well, yes. Yes, absolutely. And that's, many of these stories are given so that we would know what not to do exactly. And it could be the same in our families. And we can easily, uh, with sin, make an excuse and, and think, well, that's, that's what I saw, so that's what I'm going to do too. But in Christ, we can't. So yes, absolutely. Anything else?
No, it's a beautiful lesson, and, and I tried to capture that in the title, Idolatrous Israel Rebuked and Rescued, that even when they would turn for a second, even an evil man praying, God was gracious. And maybe we see that with the Ninevites. Even a temporary repentance can be blessed. Um, and it, it obviously, as Christians, we know how many times has the Lord forgiven us. Yes, we're forgiven in Christ, but we say, forgive us, Lord, of our debts, and he is gracious again and again and again and again. And we uh, sing that beautiful song, Magnify the Precious Grace of Jesus. We won't, maybe we'll sing it later. But let's conclude with prayer. Our Father, we rejoice that you are the God of mercy and grace. Thank you for shedding your grace upon us in the Lord Jesus Christ because he is our deliverer, he is our savior, and we were idolaters, and Father, we confess that too many idols yet remain. Lord, the idol of self, maybe the idol of family members, maybe the idol of stuff or money, of health, of intelligence, whatever it is, Father, may we crush them, may we put to death the deeds of the flesh by the power of your spirit, by the power of Christ, may we Learn the lessons from evil Israel, Lord. May we hate idolatry in ourselves. May we be humbled. May we persevere. May we not drift. But would we press on by your grace and for your glory. We thank you for this book of Second Kings. May we remember it. May we apply it. That you would be exalted for Christ's sake. Amen.